Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Here's Pastor Mike with the message, To Live is Christ. All right, so the year was around AD 61, and the Apostle Paul was incarcerated in Rome. If you remember from our previous studies, this is his first Roman imprisonment, and he finds himself under house arrest while waiting for his day in court before Caesar Nero. Okay, so the question that we haven't dealt with yet, remember, remember in week one, I gave you the background to Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. We talked about how God used him to plant that church around AD 50. So we got that story, but what I haven't dealt with yet is this question, how did Paul get to Rome? What events led up? What events uh, took place that culminated in Paul being chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest. Well, the actual events have been recorded for us in the closing chapters of the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, Paul's friend and personal physician. And so Luke, right, the historian, Luke, the doctor, he writes the gospel of Luke, he writes Acts. And he tells us in the closing chapters that after three missionary journeys, Paul decides, I'm gonna return to Jerusalem. Now, if you follow the timeline of the Apostle Paul, that would put us right around A.D. 57-ish. So while he's in Jerusalem, A.D. 57, he goes to visit the temple. While he's at the temple, uh, he's recognized by his enemies. And so there's certain Jews from Asia Minor that they hate, they hate Paul. They spot him, and what do they do? Because they hate him, they stir up the crowd against Paul. The next thing you know, there's a violent mob, there's a riot going on, Paul feels like a rag doll, he's almost torn to pieces. He could have been killed had it not been for the Roman peacekeeping soldiers there in the Antonia Fortress. They rush down, they break up the mob, they arrest Paul, and he's imprisoned over in Caesarea on the beautiful Mediterranean coast. Well, soon as the story continues, the Sanhedrin, you remember the Supreme Court of Israel, they also hated Paul. They got involved and they accused him before the Roman governor, Felix. And so regarding Paul, the Sanhedrin, at least the spokesperson for that group, said to Felix, the governor, this. We have found this man a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. Now, that's a big, fat lie, because Paul's not the one starting these riots, it's his enemies. But nonetheless, in that day, as in this day, often lies Trump the truth. We found this man to be a plague, he stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Of course, Jesus of Nazareth, and so the Sanhedrin called Christians like you and me, if we were around back then, well, you're just a sect of that Nazarene. Okay, and so what they said about Paul was a lie as far as him starting um, riots, and so, uh, again, the, the lies often trump the truth. Politics often trumps the truth. The reason we know this back then is because Felix, he kept Paul in prison in Caesarea for two years, Acts 24, 27 says, as a favor to the Jews. So Felix is the Roman governor. There's thousands and thousands of Jews in Judea where he governs. 
He's like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back when I need that back scratched. And so I'm gonna scratch your back by keeping this guy you hate in jail for two years. The story continues. Felix is later replaced by Festus, and he also uses Paul as a political pawn to win favor from the Jews. Now, after a while, Paul's getting frustrated. He's tired of being used. He's a Roman citizen. He knows his civil rights. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing wrong with knowing your civil rights and standing up for your civil rights. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. I'm a Roman citizen, I'm tired of being used as a political pawn, and so I appeal my case to Caesar. And Festus is like, all right, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And the next thing you know, Paul's on his way in a ship to Rome. He starts off bottom right part of your screen, there in Judea, Caesarea on the coast. It's right underneath the word Galilee. And they put him in a little boat. They go along the bottom part of modern day Turkey. They switch over to a larger boat at some point, And they go across the Mediterranean Sea, eventually top left part of your screen, ending up in Rome. Now previously in this church, we studied the book of Acts. I did 49 messages, verse by verse, through the entire book. If you missed that study, all those messages are available online or at our podcast, and you can listen to them as you go to work or whatever, um, so you can get this story more in detail. But if you are here and you remember, this voyage was filled with danger. And so Paul is being transported as a prisoner of Rome He's being treated like a criminal. He's in chains. And not only that, but there's a severe storm that hits them uh, called a Euroclidon. Um, there in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, there's a violent shipwreck on the island of Malta, lower left part of your screen. Um, and then as Paul's trying to be a servant on that island, he's gathering kindling um, to make a fire. What jumps out of the fire and grabs to Paul's hand? You guys remember this? Yeah, the vicious viper. And so all this negative stuff is happening to the Apostle Paul. He finally makes it to Rome around A.D. 60. As I've already said, he's placed under house arrest and he's waiting for his day in court. Now, there's good news and bad news about this house arrest. The good news is Paul's allowed to have visitors come in. And so the last two verses in the book of Acts says that Paul lived there. This is the house where he was um, being chained um, in during those two years. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. So not only was he a prisoner, he had to pay the rent. And he welcomed all who came to him. So there's the good news. He welcomes all who come visit him, verse 31, last verse in Acts, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the good news is he can have visitors He's sharing the love of Jesus with people. Here's the bad news. He's chained to a Roman soldier. As far as we know, 24-7. Now maybe after they got to know him a while and they knew he wasn't a threat, maybe they you know, quietly um, un unleashed him. We don't know, but as far as we know, he's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. These are members of the Imperial Guard. The Imperial Guard, if you do your homework, they're an elite group nine or so thousand strong. These are trained warriors. And I was reminded as I restudied this past week that Paul was, um, we believe Paul was um, chained to these guys in four hour shifts. 
So every four hours, he gets a new Roman soldier, about six soldiers every day chained to the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know about you. I like to try to make the Bible come alive, and so I want you guys to do that. I want you to put yourself in the sandals of the Apostle Paul. You're chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Wouldn't that get old after a while? Right? You're trying to eat, have a nice dinner, and there's Brutus, or whatever his name is, biceps bulging out everywhere, right? He's not very happy. And then you go to sleep, and you wake up in the middle of the night, and there's Brutus. He's snoring right next to you, and you have a private visitor come. You want to have a private conversation, but Brutus is listening to every word. You have to go to the bathroom, you know, you're hoping the chain's really long so you can have some privacy, but after, you would think, you would think that after a while, Paul's getting frustrated, Paul would get angry, Paul would become defeated. I want you, again, put yourself in his sandals. Think about what he went through. He's part of a violent riot on the temple courts. They try to kill him. Not only that, he's imprisoned for two years in Caesarea. Not only that, he's treated like a criminal and he's transported across the Mediterranean. Not only that, he is encountering this severe storm. Not only that, there's this shocking shipwreck on Malta. They all barely make it. And then not only that, a viper comes, right? One thing after another, and now he's chained to a Roman soldier for two years. You would think that Paul would be so frustrated and so angry and so defeated. You would think that Paul, after a while, would just say, why God? By the way, next week, that's the title of the message. Why God? I think we're gonna get through four verses next week uh, and we're just gonna dive in to that question. Why God when all this difficulty is happening in our lives? Paul could have said that. He could have said, why God? I thought you were good. Why am I going through all this bad stuff? Where are you when I need you? You know what, I'm done. He could have said that, but instead he wrote this. All right, so right now if you are looking at Philippians chapter one, verse 12. Philippians one, verse 12, can you say amen? amen. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, you say, what happened to him? Well, that was the last 10 minutes of the sermon, okay? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I love this attitude here. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord, that's Christians in Rome, by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Instead of becoming frustrated, instead of becoming angry, instead of getting all defeated and having an Eeyore mentality, like, woe is me, where's God, right? Paul says in verse 12, well, I know exactly where God is. Christ lives in my heart, and I know exactly why I'm going through all this. It's so that the gospel can advance. It advances to the imperial guard, that's verse 13. It's advancing to the Christians in Rome, that's verse 14. And so think about this. Paul says in verse 13 that the, that the whole imperial guard, we're talking about almost 9,000, if not 9,000 trained warriors. 
the whole imperial guard hears that he is a prisoner of Christ. How does that happen? Well, how it happens is Paul's chained to a Roman soldier every four hours. Brutus gets off shift, he goes to the break room, he tells his fellow soldier, who tells his fellow soldier, who tells another fellow soldier, and the next thing you know, the whole imperial guard knows that this Jewish rabbi from, from Caesarea is really a prisoner of Jesus, who he says is the Messiah. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about his attitude. Paul could have complained. He could have said, I'm chained to this Roman soldier. Man, why do I gotta go through this? That could have been his attitude, but instead of that, here's Paul's attitude. Wow, I'm chained to a Roman soldier. I have a captive audience. This guy can't go anywhere. I get to share the love of Jesus with this guy. And don't you know that none of those Roman soldiers ever <laughs> during their four-hour shift got away from Paul without hearing Paul's story and more importantly, hearing the story of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul was so faithful to the Lord, because Paul knew that people need the Lord. And what's so really, really what's so wonderful about this is um, that it continues on, this, the spread of his influence, the spread of the gospel, because not only does it stop with the imperial guard, the spread of the gospel actually goes into Caesar Nero's own household. It gets into the palace. And we know, we don't know who exactly they are, but we know that some of Caesar Nero's family got saved. You say, how do you know that for sure? Because of the end of the letter, the Apostle Paul wrote, all the who? Saints greet you, especially those of whose household? <laughs> right, what's a saint? Some dead guy that later on we honor because they lived a nice life? No, a saint is a Christian like you and I. And so there's Christians, where? Now in Caesar's household. And so because of Paul's influence, the gospel's advancing in Rome. It's advancing, right, in the imperial guard. It's advancing in Caesar's palace. But not only that, verse 14, most of the brothers, other Christians in the city, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so when the Christians in Rome heard, hey, you know what, Paul's being faithful to the Lord, even in the midst of all this hardship. You know what, if Paul can be faithful to the Lord as a prisoner, I think I can be faithful to the Lord as a free person. If Paul can witness to Brutus, who's got biceps out to here and could just kill him if he wanted to, if he's being faithful to share the gospel with him, if he's gonna be faithful to share the gospel to Caesar Nero, I think I can probably share the gospel with my friends, my neighbors, or my coworkers. And so they're inspired by the testimony of the Apostle Paul because he's faithful in the midst of hardship. My wife and I, a few weeks ago, were on vacation and we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and so we went to the Billy Graham Library. And so I've been on a Billy Graham kick now for about three weeks. I've watched, I think, four or five Billy Graham videos. I'm reading at night before I go to bed his biography. But here's what I love about Billy Graham is that he never compromised the true gospel of grace. He just shared the gospel. Hey, I don't care if it was a president. I don't care if it was a head of state. 
I don't care if it was at, in, in Korea, he preached to over one million people at one time. God just used this guy. But, but here's what I, I love. I've, I'm getting deeper into the life to where I'm starting to see the conflict. I'm starting to see the criticisms. I'm starting to see the people who hated him and were jealous of him and the spiritual warfare. And yet, not perfect, right? None of us are. He just keeps moving forward for the Lord. That is the kind of testimony, whether it's Paul, Billy Graham, or somebody else, those are the people that inspire us. And so Paul could have been frustrated, he could have been angry, he could have been defeated, but instead of that, he's got this attitude of gratitude. Do you guys know that's a choice? Do you know that the next time you have a bad day, which probably is gonna be tomorrow, just accept it, (laughs) that you have a choice, you can be an Eeyore, you can say, woe is me, You can get all angry and frustrated and defeated, or you can make a choice to rejoice. And this is what Paul does. Man, God's advancing the gospel. So why? Why did Paul have such a positive attitude? Here's why it's your first point. All, nope, next point. Yes, there we go. Paul had an unshakable confidence in the power of positive thinking. Is that what it says there? You guys see that, right? Paul had an unshakable confidence in God's sovereignty, even in the midst of life's difficulties. And so Paul here has this amazing attitude, and it's that God is sovereign. Now the sooner you understand what that means, the better you're gonna be as a Christian. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God is sovereign? What it means is that God is large and he's in charge. That means that he's preeminent in all authority and in all power. It means that he is the ruler of the universe. It means that he's in control of everything that happens to his kids. Now, Paul knew that better than anybody. That's why he wrote this. And we know that how many things? All things. Work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. That is a promise of God to the children of God that you can rest on, that you can take to the bank no matter what you're going through. And so Paul could say, hey, all means all. All things are working together in my life for my good and God's glory. That means violent riots. That means imprisonments. That means being treated like a criminal. That means being a political pawn. That means um, storms and shipwrecks and snake bites and even being chained to Brutus here. All this stuff is working out for my good and God's glory. I believe that, I know that, I trust God's sovereignty. That's the attitude, that's why he was able to be this example that would inspire us and it is a choice you can be that example as well. And so in the midst of trials, are you gonna believe God is sovereign in your life? That he's working out all things, good and bad, in your life for his good and your, for your good and his glory. And so someone says, all right, pastor, you know, I want to, I just don't think I have enough faith to believe this. Well, here's what you need to know, faith, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, how much are you in the word of God? I'm so glad you're here. It's so great that you're here, 
right? But what about tomorrow morning? Do you have that appointment that's more important than anything else that you do tomorrow? To get at the feet of Jesus Christ and to open up his word? To receive his heart from his word and then to share your heart through prayer and then receive his heart through his word and share your heart through prayer? Not reading the daily bread for two minutes in the bathroom, but actually spending time, quality time with the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it's the more that you receive the word of God, the stronger your faith becomes, and the more you believe that God is a promise keeper and not a promise breaker, and that he really is in control, even though you're going through these difficult things. And so the gospel's advancing in Rome, and it says now in verse 15 that there's a problem. How many of you know life is filled with problems? All right, what's the problem? Here it is. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, hurt me in my imprisonment. So what's Paul doing here in these verses? He's sharing about two different groups apparently in Rome. One group loves him, the other group doesn't like him very much. One group, well, they're sharing the gospel out of the motive of love. The other group, no, they're sharing the gospel out of a motive of selfish ambition. One group wants to help Paul, the other group actually wants to hurt Paul. But here's what's really, really sad. Both groups are Christians. You see, in verse 15, the group that didn't like Paul very much it says that they had this thought that they were in some kind of rivalry, some kind of competition with the Apostle Paul. The Bible's silent, all we can do is guess, but maybe they were jealous of Paul, right, because of his phenomenal leadership abilities. Maybe they looked at Paul and they thought, you know, I don't like that guy very much because, you know, look how famous he's become in the Roman Empire, whatever it might be, but here's the problem with this group this petty group, this jealous group, is they began to compare their ministry with the ministry of the apostle Paul. And it says, again, in verse 17, that they were proclaiming Christ, okay, that's good, but they were doing it out of selfish ambition. What does that mean? Let's do a little Greek word study here. And so the Greek word, which we translate selfish ambition, at least the ESV translation, means this, electioneering or intriguing for office, a desire to put oneself forward, partisanship, fractiousness, okay? And so apparently their attitude, this little group in Rome, right, this petty group, their attitude is this. All right, so the Apostle Paul, he's here in Rome, he's under house arrest, but he's allowed to have visitors, and so his influence is spreading in our city. Who does he think he is coming into our territory, right, and usurping our authority? He didn't start this church. 
We're the Christian leaders around here, on and on and on and on. I'm sure it got a lot worse than that. And so these guys thought they needed to engage in electioneering. What does that mean? They actually went out into the streets and they're shaking hands and slapping backs, trying to win votes for their side, their group, their ministry, and all of it was an attempt, if they were really honest, way down deep in the recesses of their heart, they wanted to hurt Paul. They put themselves forward and they created this partisan spirit within the church Christian community in Rome. And they're thinking, you know what, our ministry is better than Paul's ministry, and when he finds out how well we're doing, he's gonna be so mad, he's gonna be so upset, he's gonna be so jealous, he's gonna be so hurt. And obviously, they didn't know the Apostle Paul. Because how does he respond to this group? Well, look at verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So cool. It's like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? What planet was the Apostle Paul born on? Does he have like a superhero cape in his closet somewhere? No, listen, Paul was flesh and blood just like you and I. He made good choices every day. And his choices honored the Lord. He refused to give in to this jealousy, this petty spirit of rivalry and competition. Instead, he makes a choice to rejoice, say, hey, hey, at least Christ is being proclaimed. And that leads you to your second point. Paul had a joyful attitude even in the midst of jealous rivalries. And so he gets a visitor, he's under house arrest. Hey, Paul, did you hear about what they're saying about you? And Paul says, you know, I don't really care what they're saying about me. What I care about is what are they saying about Christ? That's what really matters. And he refuses to give in to a spirit of jealousy and rivalry. Now it's very important to note right here and right now that this group, whoever they were, they were not preaching a false gospel. The reason I know that is because of Paul's response to them. The reason I know that is because I've read Galatians. If you've ever read Galatians, you know that the story there is Paul would go to Galatia, other places, he would plant a church and then he would leave, and then this religious group would come in behind him to a bunch of Christians like you guys, and they would say, hey, you know what? The Apostle Paul was here last week, and he said, if you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, trusting his work on the cross and his resurrection as full payment for your sins, okay, that's, that's great, but Paul says that's enough to be justified. Well, we're here to tell you it's not enough. You see, now everybody, all, all you guys, um, you need to go in the back room, you need to get circumcised if you wanna be justified. And not only that, you guys need to start keeping the Sabbath. And not only that, you need to start keeping the 10 commandments if you really wanna be justified. And then when you take your last breath, I hope you make it, see you later. And Paul, well, he comes after these guys with both barrels blazing. 
I mean, I cannot believe, of course Paul wouldn't shoot anybody, right? They didn't have guns back then, but he was so upset in the spirit, and I cannot believe what he wrote to that group in Galatia. This group in Rome, very different, different response, different tone. It's just a Christian group with a petty attitude, and they're jealous, and he's like, you know what? At least they're sharing the gospel of grace. And he has this amazing attitude. Now, we gotta have the same attitude today. What does that mean? That means that here at Calvary Chapel, when we hear that there's other churches in town, right, that believe the Bible, and they're growing, and God is blessing them, Listen, as long as they're teaching the true gospel of grace and as long as they're holding to the essentials of the faith, our attitude here ought to be, praise the Lord, God is moving on the treasure coast. That's the attitude we have. Not comparing churches, not comparing ministries. Ladies and gentlemen, it's petty, it's small, it's a work of the flesh, it grieves the Holy Spirit, and it's wrong. So don't do it. Don't compare churches, and also don't compare individual people. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Right now, if the Holy Spirit is sharing somebody that you are jealous of, that you're angry at, you need to turn away from that. You need to let that go. It's just a work of the flesh. Don't give into it. And so Paul rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed, and then in verse 19, he says, for I know that through your prayers, Church of Philippi, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. What is he talking about? He's talking about when I go to court, <laughs> when I stand before Caesar Nero, Please pray for me that I won't be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul knows, hey, I'm gonna stand before Caesar Nero soon, the tyrant, the infamous tyrant, and I need you to pray for me because my life is in jeopardy. The appeal can go either way. I can be set free or I can lose my head and so my eager expectation and hope is that I will be full of courage, that I'll be bold, that I'll honor Christ, whether I live or whether I die. And then one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. I'll come back to that. Verse 22, he says, for I, if I, if I am to live in the flesh, right? So I'm acquitted, I'm set free, I keep living. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with who? You guys see that in verse 23? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Please notice he didn't say, my desire is to depart and go to purgatory. My desire is to depart and soul sleep all the way till the resurrection. 
No, both of those are false doctrines. Ladies and gentlemen, we get our doctrines only from the word of God. Everybody look at me. To be absent from the body, if you're a Christian, means to be present with the Lord. You take your last breath, you're in the arms of Jesus. There is no purgatory, there is no soul sleep. They're man-made doctrines. This is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so it's AD 61, Paul's ready to go to heaven. Now please understand, he's not suicidal. He's not, doesn't have a death wish. He just really is excited about meeting Jesus. And so his attitude is, you know what? If the verdict is guilty and I'm martyred for my faith, praise God, I can go see Jesus. But if the verdict is not guilty and I'm released, that means I can go continue on my ministry, fruitful labor, I can come see you guys in Philippi and you know, it's not what I prefer, <laughs> but that's great too. I'd really like to go to heaven, but you guys need my ministry, and so I know I'm gonna stick around for a while. And then he says in verse 21 again, for me to live is Christ and to die, no matter when that happens, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, to die is gain. That leads you to your third and last point, and that is that Paul had a powerful purpose even in the midst of a self-centered world. And so ladies and gentlemen, here's the sad news, and I know you already know this, but most people in the world live for themselves. We live in a self-absorbed world. That means that most people have self-centered goals. If they're really honest, a lot of people aren't, but if they're really honest, they would have to admit, you know, I can say all I want, but here's what my life is showing. For me to live, not Christ, no, for me to live is wealth. Or for me to live is prestige. Or for me to live is pleasure. Right, if you nail it down, it usually comes down to one of those three things is what people are living for. Right, so some people, they're like, hey, for me to live, it's wealth. That means I'm consumed with my income. I'm always checking my stocks. I don't give away a lot of money because it's really about taking care of big number one. And so the bigger things I have in life and the better things I have in life, that's what life is all about. That's what makes me happy for me to live is wealth. Others say, oh, for me to live is prestige. And so I'm driven, right? I'm driven by success. I'm gonna be a successful person. I'm gonna be a significant person. I want people to look up to me. My name, you watch. One day it's gonna be in the lights. I'm gonna make a name for myself. Why? Because what I'm all about is my prestige. And the more likes I get on Facebook, the better I feel. If I get one or two likes, I'm depressed for two days. And others say, for me to live is pleasure. So if I'm honest, 
I live for the weekends, I party, I get plastered, if I'm lucky I score, why? Because it's all about me and fulfilling my needs and I don't care if I use and abuse other people, that's fine, right? And so if people are really honest, this is what it's about. Pay or prestige or pleasure, said another way, salary, status, sex, said another way, the gold, the glory, the girls. But Paul says, no, I'm not gonna give in to the spirit of the flesh. For me, verse 21, for me to live, it's Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ and his glory. And to die is gain. And so, just answering your own heart, between you and the Lord, what's your primary goal? Does it come down to pleasing yourself or does it come down to pleasing the Savior? So Art Monk, he's a former pro athlete, dedicated Christian, and so his NFL career was so amazing as a wide receiver for the Washington Redskins that he was later inducted in 2008 into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. When he went up to the podium to give the acceptance speech, he received the longest standing ovation in Hall of Fame history. It went on for four minutes and four seconds. But here's the thing, Art Monk's a humble guy, so every minute those people were standing clapping, it just killed him. And so when they finally sat down, I'm just gonna read you some excerpts from his speech. Art Monk said this, quote, with all due respect, as great as this honor is, it's not what really defines who I am. I always have been known as a redskin and even now as a Hall of Famer, but the one thing I wanna make very clear is that my identity and my security are found in the Lord. Yeah, listen to this. I mean, he just starts preaching in front of all these people. He says, my validation comes in having accepted his son Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And what defines me is the word of God. It's the word of God that will continue to shape and mold me into the person I know he's called me to be. I know that I'm here not by my own strength, but by the grace and power of God upon my life who I know gave me favor along the way and provided the opportunity for me to use my gifts. I could stand here before you all and say, hey, look at me, look at what I did. But if I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast in the Lord. For it's because of him that I'm here and I give him thanks and glory and honor for all that he has done for me. I wonder how many children and teenagers back in 2008, that acceptance speech impacted that day. You see, that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about our glory, it's about Jesus's glory. It's not about what we want, it's about what God wants. So I'll ask it again, just answer it in your heart. Be honest, because God sees right in there. He sees right in here, and he sees right into you guys. What's the primary goal of your life? It's very easy just to say, God, right? But what is your life showing? What is the primary goal of your life? Does it revolve around what you want or what God wants around your glory or around his glory, no matter what our career? Whatever God calls you to do. It might be ministry, it could be 100, 200 other things. It doesn't matter. God's got a call on your life 
and you can glorify God in your life. It's a choice and it can start today. And so in conclusion, spirit-filled Paul, right? This is not because Paul was so great. No, it's because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he had an unshakable confidence in God's sovereignty even in the midst of life's difficulties. A lot more about that next week. Number two, he had a joyful attitude even in the midst of jealous rivalries. And number three, he had a powerful purpose even in the midst of a self-centered world. Amen? Amen.